לקוטי סיכס חלק תסבוב, פרשס ויחי שיחה גימל. We're learning לזכוס הניה בס ברכה דבירליה for a quick, immediate and miraculous רפואה שלמה. In this week's Torah portion, we learn of the preparation Yaakov made before his passing in Egypt, where he spent the last 17 years of his life. Yaakov gathers and addresses his sons, blessing them and foretelling their future roles as the tribes of Israel. When Yaakov addressed Reuven, his firstborn, in verses 3 and 4 of chapter 49, he rebukes him for the action he took in rearranging his father's marital bid with the intention of honoring his mother, Leah, which would affect Reuven's legacy. The verse reads, Reuven, b'chayri ata, k'ychi v'reshes aini. Reuven, you are my firstborn, my strength. Yeser seis v'yeser eis. And first of my might. And you should have been superior in both rank and power. Pachaz kamayim al toisar, ki alisa mishkavia vicha, Oz halalta yitzui ola. Yet you are restless as moving water, and therefore you will not have this superiority. You ascended upon your father's couch, and then you profaned God's presence, which was upon my bed. Rashi explains this description of rank and power in two separate explanations. Explaining Yeser Seis, Rashi teaches, Ro'i ha'yisa li'yais yeser alachicha b'kehuna, l'ashein nesiyas kapayim. You were in fact worthy of being your brother's superior in the priesthood. The word seis, like nesiyas kapayim. The lifting of hands while reciting the priestly blessing. Rashi continues in quoting the words Yeser Oz, Rashi says, with sovereignty, the word Oz relating to Umi Gorash Oz Lemolchai, a quote from the book of Samuel of Shmuel, and he will grant strength to his king. Rashi then concludes with a quote from the Midrashic interpretation, and what caused you to lose all this? which is responded to in the next verse, which Rashi explains, saying, Pachaz kamayim, unstable as moving water, the impetuosity and chaos observable in your quickly inflamed wrath, Altoisar, has caused this result that you will no longer receive these superior positions that were appropriately yours. And that restlessness was kialisa mishkavia vicha az halalta, profaning the shechina that would arise on my bed. The Targum explains the verse saying that Reuven's deserved positions was a three-part position that included the bechira, that of firstborn, the kuhuna, to be high priest, and malchus, to become king over Israel, 
or so his descendants would become kings. But these were not given to him. The Medrash Tanchuma and the Midrashic explanation of Bracious Rabbah to explain the verse in this way. What's puzzling is Rashi's omission of the position of firstborn in explaining this to us and telling us that no longer was Reuven worthy of these positions. When Rashi explains Altaisar, he mentions only the priesthood and sovereignty, but omits the position of firstborn, which is how Yaakov opens his remarks to Reuven, saying, Reuven, Reuven, you are my firstborn. In fact, what makes this more puzzling is that it's because he was firstborn that he was worthy of the priesthood and of sovereignty. It's clear that Rashi isn't of the opinion that the mention of firstborn or the position of firstborn remained with Reuven. As the verse in Divrei Hayamim in Chronicles, Chronicles 1, chapter 5, verse 1, clearly states that my son Reuven, who is the firstborn of Jacob, but defiled his father's bed and thereby, thereby lost the birthright and it was given to the two sons of Yosef. And Rashi is the one who explains that when Reuven desecrated his father's bed, and the honor of his birthright was given away to Yosef's two sons, though they did not become the kings of Israel. In fact, Rashi explains Yaakov's parting words to Yosef earlier in chapter 48, verse 22, saying, V'ani nosati shechem echod al I've given one portion of Shechem to your two sons. And earlier yet in the portion of Ayishlach, Rashi explains a verse in chapter 35 that enumerates Leah's sons, beginning with Reuven, the firstborn of Jacob, as Jacob's firstborn as far as inheritance. Firstborn, Rashi says, regarding performing the service, the priesthood, firstborn in the counting of the tribes. Only in respect to the addition of two tribes, the two sons of Yosef, was this position of firstborn given over to Yosef's sons. But Reuven remains the firstborn of the tribes. Now, perhaps we could say that the words Altaisar, you will not have superiority over your brothers, used in regards to Kol Ela, all of these things, these positions that Reuven held and lost, are proof that it's a reference only to the Yesers, the additional areas of the priesthood and sovereignty that he held. The position of Bechaira of firstborn, on the other hand, isn't mentioned with this expression of yeser. It's not additional. Ergo, it's not diminished with the words, Altaiser, you will no longer have this superiority. But this would only be some indication that the verse isn't addressing losing this birthright of firstborn. It would not, however, help us to understand how this birthright is categorically different to the priesthood and sovereignty. What separates them? 
which remains unaddressed in the verse. To explore this further, let's look at the words that follow in verse 9 in Pasuk Tes. In this verse, Yaakov speaks to Yehuda and says, Yehuda is a cub and a grown lion. Yaakov continues and says, From the prey, my son, you withdrew. Miteref b'ni Alisa. Rashi explains the word miteref from the prey to mean, I, Yaakov, suspected you of having allowed Yosef to be devoured by a wild beast, but you withdrew yourself from participating in this. Bini Alisa, you said, Ma betza, what gain is to be had from killing our brother and hiding the evidence? And you did so too, Rashi continues, regarding Tamar, when you confessed that her words were just and that the child or children, as it was she was carrying, were yours, and you withdrew from killing her. Rashi's explanations seem to defy the construct of the verse. When you withdrew from killing Tamar is significantly related to the words in the verse Bini Alisa, according to Rashi's explanation, but not related to the word Miteref, where in his explanation Rashi only refers to the event with Yosef. Whereas the Medrash does explain Miteref is related directly to the event with Tamar and mentions it as Mitarfa shal Tamar from the killing of Tamar, but Rashi only refers to it as a second Aliyah in regards to Bini Alisa, where Yehuda withheld from killing Tamar. How does Rashi do this? Determine that these three words that come together in the verse, Miteref Bini Alisa, from the prey or the killing my son you withdrew, means one thing for Miteref, and the words Bini Alisa, as though they stand alone, mean another and refer to two things. Also, what is the literal intention of the verse, or rather what in the literal intention of the verse, compels Rashi to explain that while Yaakov said Alisa, he meant you withheld from killing Tamar in addition to it meaning from killing Yasef. Rashi does not indicate in his explanation that there are two explanations. He just tacks on the event of Tamar as a continuation to the first event. We might be able to answer that first question by suggesting that Rashi indeed does intend to include the event of Tamar and Yehuda with the event of Yasef in explaining Miteref but he only mentions it when he explains Bni Alisa in order to tip us off to how Miteref can also mean the event with Tamar. Here's how. There are actually two ways to translate the literal intention of the words Miteref Bni Alisa. One would be when the word Bni, my son, follows the word Miteref as in Miteref Bni Yosef Alisa, you refrained from the killing of my son Yosef. Or two would be when the word Bni belongs, so to speak, to the word Alisa. You withheld or raised yourself 
as in you, my son Yehuda, raised yourself in withholding from killing. If we go with one, when Bni, my son, and Miteref are directly associated, then it's just about Yosef and not about Tamar. Hence, before Rashi adds the event of Tamar, he must first explain Bni Elisa, and therefore he quotes both words. Bni Elisa from the verse, even though to understand what Yaakov is praising Yehuda for, the word Elisa would be sufficient. Now, Miteref from killing can incorporate both events. You withdrew from the killing of Yosef, and you withdrew from the killing of Tamar, and you said she is right. What remains difficult for us is that while Miteref can mean also from the killing of Tamar, where does Rashi actually derive proof that Miteref means this event with Tamar? Proof that it means the event with Yosef comes from the fact that in the story of Yosef, his brothers reported to Yaakov with Yosef's fine woolen tunic all bloodied, and Yaakov cries and laments that Yosef has been devoured by a wild beast, and the verse the Pasuk uses the words, Taraf, Taraf, and he has surely been torn up, but this word is not used anywhere in connection to Tamar. The way to understand this will be through finding clarity for a general idea in this discussion that is puzzling. The position of sovereignty that Reuven lost was given to Yehuda, as the verse in Chronicles tells us clearly. This is Yaakov's reference when he says, Gur Arya Yehuda, a cub and a grown lion, is Judah, and Rashi explains this to mean the position of sovereignty that was given to Yehuda, whose descendants were King David, David Amelach, King Solomon, etc. The reason, as Rashi explains it, that Yehuda was awarded with this position among his people was because he withheld from killing both Yosef and Tamar. And this is pretty confusing. Yaakov praises Yehuda for withholding and raising himself up, but Yehuda says not to kill Yosef because Mabetza, of what value, financial, monetary value would that be? But Reuven also said, let's not kill him when the brothers were planning to kill Yosef. In fact, the praise of Yehuda, who admits that Tamar is right, can be said of Reuven too who repented deeply for dishonoring his father's bed and in fact was not there when his brothers sold Yosef because he was, as Rashi explains, busy with sackcloth and fasting for that action. Looking at this, Reuven's efforts and sincerity seem to be much more intense than Yehuda's. Yehuda saved Yosef from death, not to bring him back to his father, only to sell him to the passing, passing Ishmaelites. And it really could have saved him. Rashi tells us that his brothers rejected him eventually when they experienced Yaakov, their father's deep pain over Yosef's loss. And they blamed Yehuda, saying, you could have stopped us. We would have listened to you. And secondly, his reason for not killing Yosef was Mabetza, because they'd have no financial gain out of his death. But selling him 
was a financially worthwhile thing, so he encouraged that. Reuven, on the other hand, wanted to bring him back to his father, as the Torah explicitly tells us. As well, when Yehuda admitted that Tamar was justified and right, and that he was wrong, he only said so the one time. And quite significant, had he not, he would be guilty of causing Tamar's and her unborn children's death. Of course he had to admit this. Reuven, however, continued to do tshuva for dishonoring his father years after the act. Nine years later, when Yosef was sold, he was still doing tshuva, and he was deeply involved in this service. And finally, he had done this only because he wanted to protect his mother's honor. It's not actually considered a sin, as Rashi explains, and therefore he is called the Bechor, even as he did this. Yet, he did tshuva for many years, and with great intensity. So how does Miteref Bani Alisa earn Yehuda the position of sovereignty over Reuven? Let's explore the words of Yaakov to Reuven to understand this. Yaakov says to Reuven, you have the restlessness of moving water, and therefore you shall not have the positions of superiority that you were going to have. Rashi explains this to mean that you were quick to respond to provocation with anger, so you will no longer be worthy of these positions. It wasn't the action itself, Ruvain's lack of honor for his father's bed, that's the reason for his losing these positions of superiority, the holy service of priesthood, and generations of sovereignty, but his hasty response of anger. Rashi is thereby teaching that in dishonoring and moving his father's bid, two things can be learned, the event itself, and that it was an impulsive response of anger. Each of these was deserving of individual punishment. For moving his father's bid, he lost the birthright of firstborn to Yosef's two sons, as far as the tribal genealogy. And because of his impulsive anger, he lost the privilege of superiority, the positions of priesthood and sovereignty. The difference between priesthood, sovereignty, and the firstborn birthright is that the service of priesthood and the position of sovereignty are in service of others. The king concerns himself with the needs of his people, their comings and goings and their livelihoods. The same is true for the service of priesthoods. Of priesthood, the priests bless the nation and teach and guide their Torah knowledge and law. The birthright of the firstborn, however, has a personal implication. The firstborn, for example, receives a double inheritance, unconnected to others. These details become significant when we observe Reuven's impulsive and quick anger and its effect on another, moving his father's bed, affecting another, and speaks to one who does not concern himself with another's needs. His punishment thus was the loss of two positions that were all about others and the concerns and needs of others. The loss of the birthright of the firstborn 
was he because he didn't accurately assess the situation, seeing only his mother's honor and his worry that a maidservant of his mother's sister would take precedence to his mother. His error in thinking and internal personal experience caused this loss as far as the genealogy of the tribes. And this is also why Yehuda acquires the position of sovereignty, despite Reuven's superior status spiritually to Yehuda. In Yehuda's withholding actions, others were impacted and saved. Yosef, who was saved by Yehuda saying, Mabetza, of what value is killing him, and saying that Tamar was more right than him in saving her from death. Ruvain's actions, while indeed greater than Yehuda's, in intention and repentance, was ultimately self-centric. He wanted to save Yosef and said to throw him in the pit and not kill him and not lay a hand on him. But ultimately, this did not Yosef save Yosef, who was in danger of dying by starvation or in danger of death by snake or scorpion. True, maybe Ruvain didn't know about these possibilities, therefore wasn't guilty, but practically, Yosef was in immense danger. Ruvain's repentance, too, was very self-centric, so much so that because of his self-involved repentance, he missed the opportunity to save Yosef and bring him back to Yaakov. Yes, he was involved in tshuva, but it was so self-focused that Yosef ended up sold into slavery. And so it's specifically Yehuda's actions, actions that were other-centric, that indicate his worthiness for the position of sovereignty, versus Reuven, whose great tshuva was very notable, and thus he was worthy of the birthright, but not of sovereignty. Rashi presents both Yehuda's action regarding Yosef and regarding Tamar, because Yaakov's intention was to highlight that these two things made him appropriate for sovereignty, which went from Reuven to him, just as Reuven's two actions, wanting to save Yosef, and the repentance he did for moving his father's bed and disturbing the Shekhinah caused the loss. The lesson therein is clear. A Jew may not become absorbed with his own growth alone. A Jew must be involved in Avas Yisrael, in love of another Jew, and in doing a favor for another Jew. And because Avas Yisrael is, as the Altarebbe teaches in Tanya, chapter 32, quoting Hillel, the entire Torah, all of it is the fulfillment of this mitzvah. Even if one is not on a really lofty level, like someone who is very busy raising themselves up spiritually, his actions for another bond him to the Torah in its entirety. The results of the actions of Reuven and Yehuda are very obvious and speak to this important idea. Reuven was busy with fasting and sackcloth, and Yosef got sold which led to the Egyptian exile, which was the forerunner to every future exile, versus Yehuda's ability to say that Tamar was right and he was wrong, while not a reuving like repentance 
redemption itself resulted in the birth of Tamar's baby parents, who grandfathered the household of King David until the ultimate and final redeemer, who will be pirates, break through the barriers of exile and bring the true, ultimate, and final redemption speedily now.